I love that you call them fans. That's oh, we, that's really we charming. Have that's where we start that's the podcast really right there. Okay, that's the beginning of the podcast. That's the first thing that you're going to hear of the bio-friendly podcast this week is that our guest says, "I love that you call them fans." Oh, it's charming. Yes. That's really they're that's actually really paid listeners. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. <laughs> what, what sort of yeah, numbers do you guys post? What what what's your average listening ship? We do so well, I can't even tell you. We are in the thousands. We're we are in the happy thousands. about that. But, yes. but okay. we're trying to get to the millions, so we're not, sure. quite, yeah. we're not quite Smithsonian yet, but we'll, sure. uh, we'll get there. You're this yeah. close to Joe Rogan. Yes. We're oh, we're so, right. We're, we're so tailing. There. We're tailing. Tail. We're dipping at his heels. Yeah. 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 In, yeah. in all seriousness, we are uh, ranking in the iTunes Earth Sciences category. We're in the top. You see us in the top. Uh, I think we're like top fifteen, top twenty. So we're, we're doing all right for being and, on for only a rising. year. And rising. Yes. We keep keep getting farther and farther up there. So we're we're yeah. get, well. We'll get there. We'll well, get there. I, sh- it's, it's, I should have asked for more this, money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is a factual Next time. point. You should have asked for more money. Yeah. Next yes. time. Ladies well, and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to all of you Dr. Matthew Jansen, who's been so kind enough to come on the show with us today. Not only is he, uh, is, and this is the unimportant thing that you audience won't care, is he uh, an ER doctor in the middle of a, a pandemic, but he's our friend who was on our Good Cops racing team. And that's Which the more important the part most, of the story here. The, the biggest deal about this whole thing is that is that is that Matthew's on on uh, on. Well, well, it's I guess it's kind of the defunct Good Cops Racing team. Although Jacob, you and Mike, uh, my brother, have been talking about starting the BioFriendly Racing team. Yes. So Matthew, which means that your... Matt could make his triumphant return, and I could meet him like I did on. So this was during the Tough Mudder race, which has been right. a few years since we did that. But Matt came along, and this was part of the Good Cops. And so, as you all know, on Good Cops we have fake mustaches. And the first time I meet Matt, he's coming along to come do the Tough Mudder, and I see he's sporting a really, really great mustache. Yeah, that was. But a there good was mustache. more behind the, yeah. the the story on that yeah. mustache. Would you mind to elaborate a little bit? <laughs> sure. Yeah, it was a. Sw- Sweet mustache. As I recall, it was this fat, beautiful, lush brown handlebar mustache. It was. Absolutely. It belonged in a melodrama. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it came with this weak adhesive backing. And if anybody has done the Tough Mudder, you guys have, obviously, but I'm not sure if your listeners have, you're crawling through mud, you're jumping in and out of water, and this mustache was too good to, to leave behind in the first, first obstacle. So I took just a little bit of adhesive and just stuck it a little more firmly to my lip. And it worked like a dream. That stayed on my lip for the full or two and a half hours of jumping in and out of lakes and crawling through mud. See, That's now most amazing. of us, by adhesive, we say, we say like spirit gum, which is a theater uh, yeah. adhesive, right? That'll keep mm-hmm. it on your, your but it, but it no, won't remove no, no, any no, no, skin. No. no, what did you use, Matthew? I used a man's adhesive, Noel, not spirit <laughs> gum. I used super glue. You used super I glue. Had little, uh, so, I had a little super glue in the garage, so I just glued it to my top lip. Oh. And it worked. That I'm, thing stayed on from beginning to end. That was it uh, yeah. was brilliant. It was brilliant, and I knew that at an event like Tough Mudder, you're yeah. looking for the toughest of the tough. And I was like, I think we just met the team captain. That's he right. super glued <laughs> a mustache to his face. It was glorious. Do you guys remember how this ended? Remind me. I'm not so sure. I, at the end, I, I I pulled the mustache off, but yeah. I was left with about. Two inches of black backing on my upper lip. <laughs> this little straight mustache. Oh, 
And was it reminiscent of, I don't know. A certain Hitler? somebody, yeah. Yeah. It was... Uh, so you was, had to do a little lip scraping. It was very fascistic. Home. And as we were leaving the Tough Mudder, we were hungry. And we were looking for a place to eat. And Noel, I you said, that. I don't recommend a Jewish deli. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is too much. I love it. Well, I remember that now. Oh, oh yeah. it was a good time. So we'll have to do another so race. And uh, you can figure out some other bio-friendly thing to glue to your body. <laughs> Would have to be a, a solar panel, right? A leaf, solar. yeah, solar panel. <laughs> yeah. You'll have a solar a panel. Oh, have a solar panel on the hat. Yeah, sold. And that's that's it. That's what we're gonna rock. With. And then the single that's leaf, weird. the Adam and Eve leaf. I think that his his uniform is he's got the little at you know that's, the leaf. That's all of our uniform. That's the uniform for the whole team, wearing. right? <laughs> single leaf. Oh, uh, we're so happy to have you on the bio-friendly podcast. <laughs> this is really great. Um, yes. Thank you for joining. Sorry we sent you to the wrong uh, chat room. We, yeah. we somehow sent <laughs> him a Google Meet invite. Uh, I am still so perplexed Zoom. by this because we're right. using Zoom. I've been using Zoom for all podcast guests. And in the application itself, you can set up like how you want to send out a meeting. <laughs> I sent the invite for this through Zoom, but yet somehow he got a link to a Google Hangout. And I'm like, what? Yeah, <laughs> so, that's, that's yeah. incredibly bizarre. I was yeah. excited. I've, I've done multiple Zoom meetings, as we all have, multiple WebEx meetings. I've even done a, a radio meeting, but I've yet to mm. do a Google, Google Meet yeah. meeting. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, we've we done a couple of those. Yeah, they work pretty well. I think that they, why Zoom is the dominant is because the recording built in is like makes it so easy to use. Whereas the others, you have to have third party things to capture the video. But, uh, but yeah, it's amazing how many I've done of these since, you know, we've, we've been on lockdown. But, uh, but now, I'm, now I'm a Zoom master. <laughs> Obviously not, because I just sent a Google. Because you sent him to a Google Meet. Yeah, yeah so Google. Uh, I, I take back everything I've just said. How many, how many of you had to uh, show your parents how to set up a, a, a Zoom meeting and to get them into the Zoom meeting with your grandkids? Uh, my parents are pretty tech savvy, but okay. <laughs> I invited my aunt and uncle on, and they needed a little coaching on how to use Zoom. They were very intimidated yeah. by it. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, my my uh, my in laws. We had we had to sit in and help everybody get all on a Zoom for a big family one, and it was pretty hilarious because it was like you know heads in the corner frame, right. not quite in there <laughs> looking for where the settings are. But once we right. got going, but it, it's definitely been a process to teach you know a lot of people who don't use these kind of programs how to use them. So they're all pros now, though. Oh yeah, it's, now know, they jump right on and zip now right they on got it. It's no big deal. Yeah. Now I'm the one who looks like the idiot sending out the Google Meet. <laughs> Part of our charm, I think, Jacob. Yeah, that's I think so. on the Biofriendly podcast. So, so how I do you guys? We, we should get to the show, right? I was going to say, how do you guys know each other? What's the what's the story here? Well, you guys go few, way back. A few episodes, we met. Uh, we met my brother, Michael. Right. Kale. Yes, that's true. And so Michael and Matthew are are uh, are friends. Uh, actually, Matthew's cousin uh, played soccer with with me. Well, mostly with my sister. Um, so that's actually probably where it originally worked out. And then sure. through his, your cousins, you met Mike and then right. us. And, and then the rest is history. You, you know, yeah. Mike, Mike has never met a, he's never met a stranger. He's, they're just friends waiting to happen. He's <laughs> right. It's so true. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That is true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's a friendly guy, yeah. but you said, you seem to have uh, stuck with him longer than most. Most people give up on Mike after a couple. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't handle this guy anymore. <laughs> Uh, kidding. I, I like to give my, my brother a hard, a hard time. Of he course. He does the same to me. So, yeah. Of course. But no, yes, we probably should should get, I guess, to dig subject, into it right? and ask you some questions. So uh, as usual, we always open up these, uh, these, these um, 
podcasts, particularly when we're talking to our friends, by saying uh, the disclaimer that Matthew is speaking his own opinions and that you can't hold him, his hospital or anywhere that he works or anyone who knows him accountable for what he's saying and that we don't want to get him in fired or in trouble. So if there's something we ask him that he doesn't want to answer, he's not going to answer it and we're not going to make him answer it because he's our, he's our pal. So with all that... Out of sure. the way. I think unless you pay, unless they pay a little bit. If they pay it a little bit, we'll let them know, right? Yeah. So, so what? So, uh, Matthew, thank you for coming on. I know, I know you're probably busier than most. Uh, we were joking in the in the little pre-interview about how you're, you're so clean and well shaven, and how Jacob and I look like we fell through one of those. Uh, I want to say etch a sketch. It's not it's etch a sketch. What's this little? Oh, those, those things that we had it when we were kids. You all the all the little black the, like, uh, the magnet fibers. Yes, the yeah, magnet right, fibers right. to put on your. We yeah, totally look we, like that. We look like the set side by side of like somebody yeah. just shook it around and moved the facial hair. <laughs> and uh, and obviously it's because we're we're trapped, uh, uh-huh. not trapped, but uh, staying in our home to to keep yeah. things safe for the community and all that. But you uh, don't get to do that with your job. You, you've uh, you've actually got to be out there in the middle of it. Um, how how uh, I guess how how has life been for you during the. Uh, you know, during this whole experience, uh, in general with you, just like family and going to work and keeping up with things as a doctor while this is all going on. Well, like, I think f- like for a lot of us, it's kind of a schizophrenic feeling. In yeah. one way, my life hasn't really changed. I wake up, I go to work, I see patients, I come home at the end of the day and I talk to my kids about what they did at school and then, you know, have dinner, go to bed, repeat the next day. So yeah. because I work in a hospital, my work life has remained pretty much unchanged, at least in terms of the hours I put in. <clears throat> yeah. And obviously on the other side, all of us are in this completely new experience where the weekend comes and there's no, there's no kids' sports to go to. You can't really go out and do something enjoyable with the family to enjoy the weekends. Um, I come home and ask my kids how the school day was, and then I ask my wife how the school day was. Right. Uh, it's, yeah. It's something new for all of us. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think my life has probably changed a lot less than your guys, uh, or a lot less than most Americans. Yeah. Because I'm an ER doctor. The ER is open. I'm also a palliative care physician, and we're certainly doing stuff on palliative care also. So it's <clears throat> a lot of things have changed, and a lot of things haven't changed. Right. That's interesting. Actually, you don't think about it that way. That that the I mean, because you have to stay open. It's just you you've the world is to some degree the same for you, and you know except for the fact that for everyone in your house it's not. So you come yeah, home right. and it's different. But yeah. when you're at work, your day's the same. Yeah, and yeah. I, I I should say that the emergency department has changed dramatically. I mean, tremendously. Um, How yeah. so? Well. <clears throat> When we knew that this virus was coming, when we knew that we were dealing with a real pandemic and that this could be potentially catastrophic, we all kind of looked for some sort of evidence that could tell us what to expect and what to prepare for. And the evidence we had was first Italy, northern Italy, and that was pretty grim. And based on what we were seeing in Italy and what their experiences were, we were preparing for the worst. And then, you know, we started to see what was happening in New York and it seemed to confirm that Italy was a legitimate model for what the pandemic experience in the United States would be. So we were extremely anxious. We started preparing our ER to manage large volumes of tremendously sick people. 
We started the process of encouraging people who were not sick to not come into the ER because we expected our resources to be at the breaking point. We set up a call panel so that if docs got sick and fell out, there would be other docs who could come in. We started contacting other physicians in the hospital, surgeons, podiatrists, anybody else who had skills that would be useful in the ER, and letting them know that they might be enlisted. Wow. So leading into this, we were preparing for the worst, for yeah. absolute catastrophe. And then we noticed volumes in the ER started decreasing, which we had hoped for and expected as people stayed home. But we never really got that, we never really had that wave break. We never had the large volumes of very sick patients coming in. We've seen a number of coronavirus, patient, coronavirus patients, but not the volumes we were expecting. And so we're in a very interesting position where we have prepared for very large volumes. And in fact, we have very small volumes. And in fact, in my ER, we're at 50% capacity. Wow, interesting. The first week was fantastic. Plenty of time to relax, have a cup of coffee, chat with the nurses. Uh, but at the end of the week, it felt a little strange. Yeah. And then when the next week was also very, very quiet, and that's a, that's a word ER doctors don't generally use, right. we started to get a little concerned. And now we're at a point where we've had to reduce staffing dramatically. Wow. We have had to furlough a lot of our employees. All of the docs have taken a pretty significant pay cut because most citizens, most people, are choosing to stay home and not come into the ER if they can all avoid it. So somebody who, you know, previously if somebody had twisted their ankle, they'd come in and have an x-ray taken. Now they're staying home and just seeing how they feel. If somebody had some scary chest pain in the middle of the night, they might have come in. Now they're staying home and waiting to see what happens next. Interesting. So, yeah, it's I did not a, expect this at all. Neither did we. And it's... Yeah. it's uh, a whole new problem to deal with and a whole new adaptation to undertake. Wow. Do, do you think that's from, uh, do you think that's just because California jumped on it fairly early to, to, to keep people home? Or do you think it's just blind luck uh, that we didn't get the same kind of, or do you even know? <laughs> like what, I, think what it's, on New York and I think it's multifactorial. I will give you my, my thesis. And there's, I guess it's a multi-part thesis. First, I think coronavirus actually was here in California before we realized it. I think we probably had our first coronavirus experiences in December, January, early February. But we didn't know what we were looking for. And there wasn't much awareness in the community, and there certainly wasn't testing. So I think we may have more immunity in California than, than most of the epidemiologic models account for. Interesting. Yeah, so I... For instance, I have a good friend who uh, does a lot of work in northern Italy. He works with stone, so he's in frequent contact and frequent visits to northern Italy to go to the quarries, etc. Back at the end of December, early January, <clears throat> he had a terrible cold, the worst cold of his life. After a week, he felt better and he went on with his life, but I suspect he probably had coronavirus. Wow. And he probably yeah. passed it to a few other people. And we get a fair amount of... Uh, we get a fair amount of tourism and visitors from Asia. So sure. I think we probably had early exposure. And so I think part of the reason California's experience is different than New York is because I think we have unverified 
herd immunity. And there's no way to confirm that, but that's my expectation. Uh, My second belief is, I think Governor Gavin Newsom handled this very well. And I'm not a Newsom fan. I'm not a fan of his politics. And um, for what it's worth, I'm not really a fan of him personally. But I think he got this right. That's cool. Um, You guys are aware that the Bay Area was instituting protection early on. They were, yeah. they were kind of leading the charge in California. They really were. But Newsom was aggressive in, in having the whole state kind of follow along, closing schools, shutting down the economy, what we've all experienced. Mm-hmm. And I think that's gone a long way towards effectively flattening the curve. And then the last thing is, um, it appears from what we, the evidence we have that the virus that came to New York came to New York by way of Europe. So the virus went from China into Europe, probably northern Italy and then outwards from there. And it had time to amplify. So then when it came to New York from Europe, there were multiple vectors coming in and kind of a more explosive explosive initial initial period of the epidemic. Uh And uh, you've been to New York. New York is different than California, and New Yorkers are different than Californians. Yeah. A lot of us Californians kind of socially isolate most of our yeah. daily. I don't yeah. take the subway to work. I take my car. Yeah. I work in my office. And if you had to design some sort of system to rapidly spread a virus through a community, it would be the subway. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, the New York subway was still running until just a few days ago. Right. So I think all of those factors combined have made the experience of California and honestly most of the rest of the United States vastly different than New York. Yeah. So in New York, the last report was they have a, about 130 coronavirus deaths or COVID-19 deaths per 100,000 population. Any idea what, any guess what it is in California? How many COVID deaths we have per 100,000 population? No idea. I, you don't. Six. Really? In New York, it's 130 per 100K. In California, it's six. And most of the country is more like California in their experience of this this crisis than New York. Fascinating. Yeah. Wow. So some of the... That is so interesting. That is unbelievable. I was going to say, so obviously our only filter that we get as people who don't work in the healthcare industry is we have our television, we have the internet, we have the news, the media, what's being fed to us. So, you know, my assumption going into this was that the California hospitals were, were being overwhelmed much like we've been seeing in other places. And so is that happening potentially anywhere in Los Angeles, like downtown or in some of these so-called hotspots that they talk about. Like, for example, I live near the city of Glendale and we're ranked as like the third worst in all of Los Angeles County in terms of like cases that are popping up. So I didn't know if like it it depended on the location that you were, if there was a little bit more uh, intense cases in certain areas. I'm sure it does. Yeah. Having said that, I have not heard of any reports, either official reports or just from friends in the field I haven't heard any reports of hospitals being overwhelmed or ERs being overwhelmed or ICUs being overwhelmed. Uh, most hospitals are running at something like 50% capacity. Wow. Uh-huh. And they can do that for a week or two, but for a prolonged period of time, they're going to have to make some serious, uh, some serious decisions about where to cut corners or where to cut costs. 
Right. So that's kind of that kind of brings up a tough a tough judgment call. Then I mean, is is it is it time then if you are if you are feeling like a little unwell, like you would normally go to the doctor? Is it does that is it time to go ahead and do that now? Is that what, at least in California or in some of these places where they're? I mean, most <laughs> of the U.S. that that isn't seeing the same kind of activity as they have in New York, or is that just something you can't really say yet? Um. I think in order to answer that question, you need to have demographic data that we just don't have. You need to have information about disease prevalence in the community, antibody slash resistance in the community, and we don't have that data. My sense is that no, people, if you're feeling sick, you should probably plan on staying home. If you have a high fever, if you're short of breath, then you should probably come into the hospital and be checked out. But I think for most people, um, they're probably better off staying home and not exposing themselves to the, the risks that are present in an emergency department in a hospital. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, you, obviously, you it's a fine line. Here. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I no, cut you off. It, it's a fine line. There's, every night, there's people who lay down in bed and have some chest pain, and right. they have to make a decision. Do I ignore this chest pain? Do I go to the ER? Do I wait 30 minutes and then make a decision? Yeah. And now they've got an additional factor they have to consider. Do I right. take the risk of going into the ER? And it's, there's no blanket instruction that can be offered to the population other than it's probably appropriate to be just a little more cautious than you might have been six months ago. Right. right. I, I was going to ask, um, you mentioned the type of care that you work in, and I wasn't familiar with this, so I thought it might be helpful for the audience to know more about that. The, uh, uh, forgive Paleo me for care. butchering. Palliative? What does yeah. that mean? Sure. So, so palliative care, you're all familiar with the word palliation, and that's yeah. to try to minimize the severity of something. And specifically in medicine, we're talking about minimizing the severity of disease, by which I mean in palliative care, we don't focus on treating disease. We don't focus on curing disease. We focus on treating the symptoms that come with that disease. And obviously, we're talking about severe disease. We're talking about patients who have severe life-limiting disease. And that could be life-limiting disease like cancer, severe heart disease, severe lung disease, or it can be life-limiting disease like neurologic disorders, which may not shorten your lifespan, but still limit your life in really profound ways. And the idea with palliative care is that we try to address those problems for patients and try to give them tools to minimize the the burden of suffering they're, they're experiencing. Ultimately, palliative care is about reducing the suffering that comes with severe disease. So we focus a lot on symptom management. We also do something called anticipatory guidance, where we try to look down the road six months, and we say, hey, in six months, these are the sorts of conversations you're going to be having. And this is a good time to start thinking about those conversations so that when the time comes, you're able to give your doctors an answer that's really based on your fundamental values and really represents what you want for yourself, your long-term desires, and not making a decision in kind of a crisis setting. Because a lot of patients who are dealing with this severe life-limiting disease, they're taking it one day at a time. They've got all they can handle getting through today. They can't think about tomorrow or next week or next month. And that's completely understandable, but it means that when those problems arise, when we're talking about, do you want a feeding tube? God forbid, if you stop breathing, do you want to be kept alive on a machine, or is that not right for you? Um, If you're taking it one day at a time, 
when those questions have come up, when those decisions have to be made, it feels like you're making it in a crisis. And something we see in medicine far too much is you have patients who want the very best for themselves, family who wants the very best for the patient, doctors who want the very best for the patient, and somehow all those well-meaning people end up in a situation that the patient just doesn't want for themselves. Um, mm. And I can interesting. Yeah, you can imagine how a series of short-term good decisions might ultimately lead to a bad outcome, and we try to we try to prevent that by having these discussions right earlier, asking people right to talk about you know what's meaningful in their life, and those are those are conversations. People don't always have. It's, it's rare that we sit down and talk with our loved ones about what quality of life means to us, what, what we want if we're in a, in a situation where, where things are desperate. Yeah, things that you don't want to think about, but you unfortunately have to. Yeah, For sure. Wow. Exactly. I, you got a rough job, man. Yeah. You know what? You keep um, on smiling when we're, when we're hanging out and partying, <laughs> but boy, if it's in the, in the business, that's, that's, uh, that's not easy. That's rough. Uh, yeah. There's sometimes when it's rough, but there's a lot of times when it's satisfying. And cool. a lot of people have asked me, it sounds like it might be a depressing job. I don't find it to be. Um, yeah. there's, there's certainly something sad about talking to somebody in their 80s who's dealing with a disease that's going to end their life. Um, but I'm an ER doctor by training. And there's right. a lot of sad things in the ER. And there's a lot of depressing things you deal with in the ER. Um, I, I don't find palliative care depressing. I, Certainly there's times when it's sad, but that's part of life. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. thank you. That was a really that was a really great answer. Thank you. It really was. It really well, was. Just in general, it's it's been wonderful to see uh, you know one thing that we really, really preach and that we try to, to push along is that that there's more to life than uh, than politics and that and that uh, if you can really look at, at a situation objectively and, and come up with a with a, a nice answer regardless of how you feel on either side of the fence, it's, it's, uh, it's much appreciated, particularly on this show. So, um, sure. you know, I, 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 it was refreshing to hear that, you know, your, your, your Gavin Newsom comment, if you didn't oh. you know, necessarily vote for him or whatever, just because it's, wow. I, we found, I, I find in life that people don't do that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they, yeah. If they don't like something, then they just don't like it. It doesn't really matter anything about it. So it's nice to, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. but you're awesome. So that's always been the case. Yeah. That you but, can like what somebody had done, whether you agree with them or not, just to have sure, that nice policies. balanced pers- per- perspective. It's refreshing. That's what we're all about. We like, to, sure. we like to rip everybody and praise everybody <laughs> on equal opportunities. On equal so opportunities. Yeah. 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 Right. So, so uh, no, but okay. So let's, let's, uh, I think that that was really interesting. I think one, one last quick question about, uh, about COVID and then let's move on to some, some brighter stuff cheer this thing up and get some, some happier people, uh, in this, you know, cause it's, it's, yeah. it's a tough topic. We've had a few of these tough topics, but you know, we've been running through them sure. cause I think people need to know stuff. Uh, yeah. the last thing is, is, is now, you know, a couple months into this and it, you know, in the case of California, potentially five months into this, yeah. um, is there any, uh, is there any just basic like day to day advice that you, that you think is probably most helpful for, for people to, to stay safe or to keep themselves in, in shape at this point. Uh, the, the stuff that may, we may have always known, but maybe stuff that we've learned since the beginning just from experiencing this pandemic. <clears throat> a, a few things come to mind, and I'm not providing any special insight. This is what people have been suggesting and um, propagating from the very beginning. 
uh, hand washing is as valuable as they say it is. And um, real hand washing, not just running your hands under the water for five seconds, but really washing your hands for 15 or 20 seconds. And if you sit down and wash your hands for 15 or 20 seconds, it feels so long, it's almost comedic. If you time yourself <laughs> washing your hands, once you reach that five or six second point, you start to think, really? That we're, we're doing this for another 14 seconds? So <laughs> I think the recommendation is you're supposed to wash your hands for a minute. Um, that's, that's more than most people can commit themselves to doing. I think it's better to wash your hands frequently for 15 or 20 seconds. Yeah. And if you're not washing your hands, then using Purell or some other sanitizing gel, that really is valuable. Yeah. I think wearing masks is probably something we're all going to have to start doing more and more often. It's probably not going to protect you from becoming infected, but it will prevent you from being the person who is infected, relatively asymptomatic, and who's infecting other people. And so I suspect that in the months ahead, even as the economy starts to open up, we're all going to be wearing masks when we go to the stores. Um, if, if, if the football season opens and if they're letting people into the stadiums, we're probably all going to be wearing masks. And that's probably a good idea until otherwise notified. Yeah. And then the last thing I would say is um, I work in a hospital. I see coronavirus patients on a pretty regular basis. I come home, I get undressed, I take a shower, put on some new clothes, and then I go see my kids, and I feel comfortable doing that. Uh, but I have not been going around my parents because my parents are older, they're in their 70s, and the evidence that we have just demographically, but also the evidence of my own eyes and my own experience is that the older population, people over the age of 60, certainly over the age of 70, do badly with this infection. And so I think it's worth doing what we can to protect our parents and older people as much as we can. Okay. Very good. That's great. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. So listen up, everybody. He just told you the powerful <laughs> yeah, three. Well, and remember also that this isn't, this isn't, uh, obviously it is new. If it, I mean, if it, it's, it's still new, but it's not new like it was. We, you know, we do have yeah. doctors who've been dealing with it and have been having to work with this disease for months now. And so, you know, it's not, we're not just, He's not just pulling this out of his butt, people. It's, yeah. this is, yeah. it's like, yeah. this is... No, he, this is that's exactly. what he does at the ER, pulls things out of other people's butt. <laughs> yeah, ultraviolet lights. Um, yeah, I'm not... This is not Sounds new like information. I'm not, I'm not breaking on. news Sorry. here. I'm just repeating what much smarter people sure. figured out many months ago. But yeah. it's important. It's important. Yeah, it is. No, but it's good to be reiterated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ahead, I think I think we should have custom uh, bio-friendly podcast uh, masks, though. Look, if we're going to embrace mask life, we need to have some, like, you know, bio-friendly podcasts. Yeah. I thought you were going to go custom ultraviolet uh, butt scopes for bio-friendly. But, well, I, that I, too, I but that just goes without saying. I just ordered one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. No, it's I good. took it in the I took it in the more the more right. decent direction, and then you brought me right back. You you were you were uh, you were trying to be good to the kids. I just gave the kids a laugh. That's, that's how, a classic that's, that's knoll. That's a classic right. knoll right there. Uh, well, so thank you for for all that, Matthew. Like, like yeah. I, so let's let's switch gears a little bit. Um, this obviously is a show about the environment. We didn't talk a lot about the environment so far, just because I think you know we we felt like, we felt like you had you were in a unique position to talk about this. And so we really wanted to, to bring that to our, 
not our fans because they're they're paid listeners, but right. to the, the the folks who listen to the show. Um, <laughs> I do have a, I do have a joke that I always make about fans, and I just got to throw it in the show real quick. I know this is a tangent, but I always say my fans always say, "Jacob, stop calling us your fans. We're your parents." Anyway, we thought Jacob's parents should know. Uh, yeah, some, yeah. Some, 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 yeah. Anyway, no, um, go ahead. But but it's an environmental show, and I'm actually curious. Uh, have you? Have you noticed in the last little while, I mean, in the last year in, in particular, uh, environmentalism has really ramped up and has really come to kind of a to greater awareness than it that happened even before that. Um, oh, yeah. And I'm wondering if, if this sort of environmental age that we're coming into has had a, an impact or an effect on the way, like the day-to-day workings of, of life in the ER or in hospitals in, in general that you've, you've noticed that you could tell us about. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can speak to that certainly about the day-to-day experience in the ER. I think the short answer to your question is no. Okay. I, uh, um, one thing that is true about the work we do in the emergency departments and also the work that's done in a lot of places in the hospital, operating rooms or um, procedure labs, is that it's extremely inefficient. We use resources extremely inefficiently. Um, we use a needle once and we throw it away. We, we use a syringe once and we throw it away. We use a vial of medicine, and even if we only use 10% of what's in that vial, we throw the vial away. We use rubber gloves and throw them away. We use masks and throw them away. We produce a tremendous amount of waste. It's incredibly inefficient, and we do it all in the name of cleanliness and sterility and decreasing the risk of any sort of uh, transmission of infection. Um, and that may be the way it has to be. I, I don't know sure. enough to speak to that. I, um, yeah. But maybe not. Maybe, well, maybe we could have bamboo sh- syringes. Maybe we could switch sure. to more of a green, <laughs> eco-friendly sure. bamboo syringe. I'm just spitballing here. I mean, <laughs> just throwing it out there. The amount just, of yeah, smoke. No, you know, we, we've actually, it's, it's funny, uh, we, for the green plus part of this company, uh, we've had to speak to the American Petroleum Institute, which is always an interesting thing to do when you're, when you're, representing the environment. I would expect. Um, but one of the one of the points that that we made is that oil actually if oil actually saves lives and it's an, it's an odd thing to think about because sure. of, of the amount of of uh, trouble that that fossil fuels and, and petroleum the petroleum industry gets but if you think about oil in the name of plastics and again right. all the trouble that you get from plastics what you can make with plastic what you can produce with plastic and again in terms of a hospital the reusable things, or not the reusable, excuse me, the disposable things that you can make with plastic that literally kind of need to be made of that in order to save lives from plastic and rubber and things like that, it's it's pretty pretty amazing. It's pretty remarkable. And so the point we've always kind of made to the American Petroleum Institute is why are you burning this stuff? We you know we, we might find in a thousand years it. that right. we yeah. want to have it for that for, for the things that we sure. actually need it for. Yeah, yeah. 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 So. A uh, case in point that kind of two, ties the two ideas together is when we have a patient who comes in to the ER and we suspect they have coronavirus and they need to be intubated, that's an extremely high-risk procedure for the physician, for everybody in the room. So what we do is we cover the patient with a plastic sheet so that only their mouth is exposed, and then we gown up, and the majority of the protective clothing we put on is either plastic or some sort of plasticized paper. We have a face shield that's obviously plastic, 
and then the equipment we intubate with, uh, it's, um, it's um, not fluoroscopic, but I was going to describe it as laparoscopic. But basically, it's just a flexible camera, but it's covered right. with a plastic sheath so that we can... I, I, don't see, I don't see an obvious way around that. Right, right, and and that's and that's the but that's and that's the point I think we were making then, and a point yeah. I think that that even as an environmental podcast that I think it's important for people to understand is is that there are it's like eating it's like eating okay if you eat terrible food all the time you're probably going to have some physical problems because you're only eating terrible food right sure. right if you eat generally good foods then you can have a Snickers bar. Now and again, you can have that drink after five o'clock. Now and again, you can you can do like you can do that. You can have general, five gallons of Ben and Jerry's. It's you fine. You can have five gallons of Ben and Jerry's if your day to day is bananas. <laughs> um, and, and I think that as a as a green community, that's something that 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 we preach and we're kind of getting behind. Is like it's it's not it's not that plastic is the devil. It's that we're using it for everything. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's right. not. It's it's not that oil is the devil. It's that we're we're literally taking it and burning it, and throwing it into the air. Right. So how can we be more responsible? How can we feed our planet better? Feed ourselves. Feed our economy. Feed our machine. Right. Better. Yeah. And let's save the plastic. Let's save the devices we need for the people who need them to do the things they do and save their lives. Like the hospitals yeah. and the medical industry. You know. Yeah. It's 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 oftentimes the average uh, you know person in, in in the public who reads articles they only get told this is evil and this is good and those, those are the only two options. And it's so helpful to hear that when we look at the ER and the hospitals and you realize well renewables aren't even an option. You know we we gotta have we gotta keep the sterility we gotta keep the health we gotta to keep doing it this way to keep people alive. And so that's that balance you have to remind people like, you know, how important it is to not just be like, oh, we got to get rid of it all, you know. What what percentage of the general public do you think knows that plastic comes from petroleum? Oh, it's tiny. It's tiny. Yeah. Mo- Except for the fans people- of our show, they know. Oh, they know. They're smart. Well, of course. All five of, of them. <laughs> Both of your parents know. Right, right. Both of my um, parents know. Yeah. No, I, uh, uh, no, it's very. I, I know it's small because because this is something I have to talk about a lot um, when I'm right. when I'm out on the road and doing what I have to do. And mo- most people don't know. So uh, yeah. one of the things I do on a regular basis is I suture people up. So somebody comes in, they've got an inch long laceration. I open a suture kit, I throw in a couple of sutures, and then everything in that kit is thrown away. Mm-hmm. The needle driver, the forceps, um, the scissors. Um, there's some cost to that. Yeah. And obviously by me using it once and throwing it away, there's no risk of infection. But that needle driver kit or that laceration kit, um, it had to be shipped here from somewhere. I suspect it's not made in the U.S. I suspect it was made in China or Indonesia and then shipped across the ocean and then shipped by truck to the hospital. Could we use the same tools repeatedly and just sterilize them carefully? I suspect we probably could. But that's not, that hasn't been the trend for the last 30 or 40 years. Sure. Right. It would require a, a completely different mindset and right. a different hierarchy of values in medicine to accept that trade-off. Right. But yeah. it's interesting. I mean, you've, you've, you've just brought up a, an, immediate, an immediate place where something could be done without, sure. without changing the, the guaranteed sterility and safety of, of 
just disposing of what you've used, um, you do have the option of, of changing where you source materials and having less of a carbon footprint in just getting it to the hospital. Right. And that's an interesting point. I mean, there's, there's, there, are, there are ways if we wanted to spend a bit more money and attention uh, and effort, or even just change the way we think about it, to cut down the, the, the carbon footprint of the, 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 the medical the supplies. Just, just yeah. that, just, just by yeah. doing that. That's interesting. I, I'm curious to know if there's organizations out there, um, California or wherever, that that's their goal is to start getting hospitals and ERs to start, you know. Should we make that part of the Johnny Appleseed Foundation? Yeah, should we just, we'll so just, just, hey, Noel, let's make it. That's what we trees. normally do. Can we count trees? trees. We and provide we medical supplies. <laughs> sure, those, those two things, yeah. they naturally, naturally fit together. Yeah, yeah. B- bamboo so, syringes will be the first ones to launch those. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, there isn't. I, I think there's interest in hospitals and among certainly hospital systems. Obviously, there's interest in cutting costs. And if there's a way to do the right thing and save money doing it, I'm sure they're interested. Yeah. Um, but again, in medicine, you have other considerations um, that other fields don't have. Um, sure. Yeah. And that's okay. I mean, and that's and that's that's the world we live in. And that's what we, we can. To me, I feel like we can we can look at that last because you you could build a an infrastructure that sets things up a little better to make that transition in the future. There are, there are far worse problems. There are far far worse polluters. There are far bigger issues that we have in the environmental community to deal with right. before we can even get to hospitals. So, you know. Yeah. Let's see what happens. We'll back, I feel like, well, let's, let's come back to this one. Let's circle back. Let's put a pin circle in it, back. and we'll come we'll back. Ju- we'll, ju- <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll, we'll address this topic a little later, and we think uh, we can handle it, you know? Yeah. Well, this uh, has well, been, Matthew. Yes. Thank it's been you. amazing. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. My, yeah, my, my pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and, Say hi to your parents uh, for me. Yeah, we will. We'll, we'll, tell them, we'll tell them you said hi. We'll tell, tell Bill and Julie you said hello. And, uh, right. yeah. <laughs> Until the next <laughs> race. Until yeah. the next race when we can hang out again. Yes. That's right. Yeah. So, so, yeah, be prepared for that because you're definitely going to be on the racing team again. We, we can't win without you. Yeah. I just ordered another mustache, so I'm ready. Yay. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> well, uh, you're, you're, free to, you're free to let go of the, of the call because Noel and I do this forever tag wind-up of the, of the BioFriendly podcast. So. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll keep my eye on my podcast and look forward to it. All right, guys. Yeah, yeah. Have a good night. Thank you thank, so much for coming so on much, the BioFriendly podcast. So we really appreciate you, it. And, and uh, we'll, we'll see you again soon. That was yes. uh, another. Oh man, tremendous. Yeah, was, I mean, it's one of those ones where I just kind of sat and listened, and I was. It, it was not at all the direction that I expected, and that's why those are kind of the shows that I love the most, where you just go in thinking it's going to be one thing, and his experience and knowledge of what's been going on, I was like, yeah. I did not yeah. know that at all. So. Well, just so, so interesting the anticipation and the preparation and the, the, the getting ready for. Yeah. It's just massive just disaster of a wave and how are we going to deal with this now are we ready for it and then waiting yeah. for it and then it never it never came and now it's like yeah. they can't, they're, they're struggling to keep the hospital open it's just fascinating yeah and, it's just and, like when harry potter opened here in la and they thought it was going to be crazy and it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst comparison ever but that totally did happen uh, well, you were about to say sorry you, i enjoyed on. harry potter oh i, I loved it about, but they 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 I don't know if you remember when it launched in L.A., the original one in Orlando had, like, traffic for miles, and it was, like, such a big deal that the city of L.A. had barricades, and they had news cameras, and they were prepared that literally, like, the day that Harry Potter opens in Los Angeles, it's going to be a nightmare, and it did not happen 
at all. <laughs> At all. So, yeah. anyway. So they were they were gearing up, ready, you know. Yeah, that was our coronavirus experience. That was our, that's the closest that was, I can get to an, a 50, you know, uh, an ER at 50% capacity is Harry Potter. <laughs> folks, folks, all we can do is just, we work with what we got in front of us. That's it. There's none of us we can do here. Um, so, so, yeah, but it, but it was fascinating. It never came, and now, and now they have... The other thing part, part that I found very fascinating, and we probably shouldn't be reviewing our own show at the end of it, but what the heck? It's what the heck? Want. It's a bio-friendly podcast. <laughs> um, it was, was the fact that even with the hospital struggling to survive, uh, because it can't stay open multiple weeks on end at 50% capacity, yeah. he can't recommend that people come in if, they're, yeah. if, they're, if they feel like they're not that sick. Because right. it's still a danger. It's, so fa- it's such a, like a fascinating disaster. I know, no and I think I think that going forward, like we've talked about how the world will be uh, after this, how often um, when you feel a malady, a pain, something, and you go, I should go in, there's going to be so m- much more of that second guessing and going, uh, I'm probably fine, I'll sleep it off, you know, to, to a detriment in some ways, and... and, and uh, it was just it's right. just it's just an interesting thing to think about about how people will start to view when they're not feeling well. Yeah. You know. I, mean, we, I guess you just never know how the world's going to change, but this <laughs> is a way yeah. that it has changed. So we'll, we'll yeah. cut to cut Let's to us being in the office and you come in and my leg is like backwards and you're like, "Jacob." And I'm like, "It's <laughs> it's pro-. you're like, you should go to the hospital." I'm like, "It's probably fine. I twisted it on the way in." You you're like, "It's dangling. It's it's dangling off of your body." <laughs> I'm fine. Let's just go to Jersey Mike's. Come on. <laughs> do you have crutches? Do you have crutches? Do you uh how do you feel about piggyback rides? Oh, so, that's hilarious. Carry yeah. me around like Yoda. That's how, that's uh, how we'll do it. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, well this is a great one. I guess we one. probably should wrap it up. It was another another great time, Jacob. I, I had was, a good time. Did you have a good time? I had a great time. I, I felt very, very uh, informed, educated. It was great to see Dr. Matt Jansen again uh, mm-hmm. without a glued mustache onto his face, which was such a great same. story. Yeah, so not, not quite the same. I did love that mustache. It was a good yeah. one. He should grow that mustache permanently. Absolutely. Just, just I, grow out the handle because he looks great <laughs> with that just wicked handlebar mustache. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Well, we've been your beacon of life in a gloomy environment. Not just charismatic megafauna. Greater parasympathetic nerve activity. We're featuring that. Featuring greater parasympathetic nerve. I always uh, forget that part, by the way. I always do. So We're nature, featuring. Well, because we kind of changed it. I'll just, yeah. You know, just yeah. Nature is perfect. Just look at eggs. Dolphins don't quit. And then the one a couple weeks ago, it's the new one. Without further ado. Without further ado. But I have a funny story, and then I swear <laughs> yeah. we're done. I have a funny story. We're watching Ozark on on Netflix, and Laura Linney's character says, without further ado, and I was like... (gasps) So I didn't make it up. It's an actual thing that some people say. It's a thing. Without further ado, so I sound. Well, do we I, take it off then? Do we take it off? <laughs> Let's kick it. Let's kick it if from the not, end. If it's not, it's not wrong, funny. Why are we yeah. talking? Why are we saying <laughs> it? <laughs> so, without much ado, is the is the most common one. But people also say, without further ado, without so, further ado. Yeah. So without we'll take any it. Any more ado? Without <laughs> less ado, more ado, some ado. Some ado, <laughs> with some ado, some ado, some don't. Uh, oh, it's good. So we'll kick it. We'll kick it from the yeah, tags. We'll kick, we'll kick We're it. done. But thank you for listening to the Biofriendly Podcast. Thank you. Longest closing ever. Ever. <laughs>
It's the Bio-Friendly Podcast. It's the Bio-Friendly Podcast.